you're in the green room. Five, four, three. All right, bringing you in, my man. I think there you are. Hi, welcome. Good to hey, see you. Dennis. What's going on, bro? Not much. Uh, I'm trying to put us side by side on my screen. Excuse me. I think we're there. No, I'm blacked out. Anyway. Oh, there I am. Hey, man. Looking good. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Side by side on your computer screen board. That's yeah. Ebony and Ivory. What are you drinking there? It's quite Ooh. a dose. So good. It's a uh, blueberry smoothie. So it's uh, frozen blueberries, some chocolate almond milk, and some uh, vanilla protein powder. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I, I've been thinking I need to get into smoothies for the trying to eat better. Mm. Yeah. I don't know how healthy it is, but it's so good. How are happy. how are things in L.A.? Oh, pretty good because like I focus on what's good. So, I mean, there there are homeless. You know, there's crime. You know, drugs. You know, all sorts of problems. But you know, I mainly live. In and around Beverly Hills, um, life is pretty good. So I just focus on what's good. So there, there are problems, but uh, I, I walk the streets of LA, Beverly Hills, for an hour and a half every day. And very pleasant. Um, almost everyone I interact with is quite pleasant. Uh, so Your neighborhood is resilient, isn't it? It's always been a great place where you're at. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But frankly, I think... I'm resilient, so I just choose to focus on what's good, you know, where, wherever I am. Like if I were, I'm not really on board with the uh, transgender uh, movement, but if I were you know, working with transgender people, I try to you know, make the best of it. I, I want to get along with everybody to the, to the best extent possible. So, yeah, that's great. So you're then, telling hey, none there of your. We go. Yeah. I see you now. Yeah, scary. Uh, <laughs> so you're telling me none of your doomer crap, Dennis. Dennis is trying to bait me into talking about how screwed up things are. Let but, me let me just challenge you to make, make the show interesting. Don't do that. And, uh, <laughs> let me just give you this, this fundamental challenge. Um, Dennis, this is just something I pick up, and I could be completely wrong, but... Whenever, like things are going to hell, um, you you seem to have a psychology that your first impulse is we're doomed, and, and then you'll try to talk yourself out of it and go, well, maybe there is some hope. But no matter what's happening, like if it's if it's bad, it, it seems like that's just my outside perspective. You know, tell me I'm completely wrong, but there seems to be an impulse in you that very quickly goes to we're doomed. What do you think? Am I off base? Is there something to it? No, there's something to it. I'm a fatalist somewhat. Yeah. 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 Sure. Uh, but I don't uh, say, like now, I'm not uh, a believer like in a crash. You know, I, I think that what I don't like is the idea that where we're going is going to keep in this trend and not that things are going to fall apart as much as you're just going to keep going as they are. 
Uh, but that's my fatalistic side, you know. I'll say, but yeah, I, I, I'm guilty of that, definitely. Now, what's your, what's your genetic heritage? Um, German and uh, Dutch, Catholic on the German side, yeah. Okay, so I, I don't think that's necessarily, I mean, I'm not was an expert on German and Dutch. I don't think that's necessarily, is that something rooted in your, in your childhood? So, for example... I, I've also been. I've also had that impulse. Like when when people saw me at at age five, they they thought I, I looked and sounded like a Holocaust survivor. Like at age five, what? age six, age seven, like I was that angry and weird and alienated from everyone. And I just remember for vast swaths of my life, my attitude was just basically you know, effort. There's no hope. You know, so so for decades, I I had that impulse, um, and I still have it. I don't see that. I don't see that in you. With, with technology, like sometimes when I struggle with technology, I'm just like you know, effort. That there's just no point, no mm. hope. Um, so I, I'm. I, I think I can talk about this. You know, I think I can talk about what I observe in you because it, it resonates with me. It's just that, um, you know, in different situations, it's stronger with me than in other situations. So, like, yeah. if I have money in the bank, you know, I'm less susceptible to this because if I have a technology problem, I'll, I'll hire someone, you know, or I'll buy a new technology. But when I don't have money in the bank and then I have technology problems or car problems or roommate problems or community problems or girlfriend problems, you know, that, that hopeless thing just comes out. But... But let me let me move it away from like Dennis Dale the person. Let me let me move it towards the the right wing distant sphere. This impulse of we're doomed seems to be probably the, the most resonant psychological impulse of which I'm aware on the the right wing to right wing distant sphere of people who talk on YouTube and podcasts. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. It's a powerful part of it. I mean, I don't know if it's fully the most of it in that it, a big part of it, is, it must be seen as, uh, frankly, as a reaction to losing, uh, a reaction to, uh, you know, the continuing. Just We're yeah. just getting battered uh, culturally. Uh, and you know, I've always said it's only natural. It's crazy that we think we we what do we expect from especially from young men who feel like they're li being left out entirely. Uh, ang some anger is appropriate, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's uh, there's too much doomerism, but of course, it might be an accurate uh, yeah, thing it, too. It might be fully accurate, but I think what's going on here is okay. Most people who have the time to do what you and I are doing right now. Let's be honest. Most people in our position are socially losers, right? Most people have <laughs> time, yeah. and the inclination, and, and the drive, and the desire to spend hours online, you know, critiquing society, bewailing what's going on. Most of us are losers. And, and so I think what's going on here is that if I'm right, that most of us who are doing what we're doing now are socially losers, that's because we are wired, we become wired to being addicted to losing. 
And so we see everything, we experience everything through the prism of losing. Right. And it would be incredibly uncomfortable for us to do too much winning. We, we couldn't handle it. And that's why like none of us, none of us in the right wing distance sphere can stay together very long. Like, I don't know, what are like right wing, you know, YouTubers or podcasters who, who can work together for very long. We all split apart, you know, fairly quickly. And I think it's because there's, we have an addiction to losing and I'm not certainly I'm not exempting myself from this. Uh, this this applies to me. I'm a 57 year old bachelor who's never reproduced. Right? I think we've got a, an addiction to losing, and so we 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 interpret everything to meet this need. Like I, I remember the most painful events of my life are when I am rejected, like when I am pushed away from a relationship or a community, and so I have found ways to re-experience rejection over and over and over again. I put myself in those places to experience that again. So, you know, talking on YouTube is a great way to create more and more rejection in your life. Because, <laughs> you know, let's be honest, most people who do what we're doing damage our lives by doing this. Like, usually we, we create far more trouble for ourselves than like, like positive opportunities. And so I got hooked into recreating rejection i i just felt some necessity to join communities that would reject me and to just recreate the, the dynamic of being excluded and rejected over and over again uh, my therapist said if i wrote a, a memoir i should call it the uninvited and so i think most of us who do what we're doing right now i think we're addicted to losing it's wired into us we didn't choose it so I'm, there's no self-blame here like I'm not blaming anyone who's in this state and I'm not blaming myself, but I think we're wired to, to lose. And so we interpret everything through a framework of losing and we need that, that, that we always need to lose because it gives us, it gives us, there's a payoff for us. Oh, the payoff is that we get to escape, I guess, responsibility and being like reasonable yeah. and responsible. Uh, so I'm just, coming to you off the top of my head any, any thoughts yeah no yeah um well you mean if you've been losing for a long time you might get afraid of winning because you don't know how you you actually take some solace in losing because i think you said in there um it it relieves you responsibility maybe there's a romance to it you know mm -hmm. uh to to the losing uh it's a cope in that sense um but um, something you said, I forgot that I wanted to talk about. But anyway, um, you, my biggest fear, listening to you talk about how none, none of us can work together over here, uh, makes me worry that um, forget the whatever the, the content of the cultural f thing that's going on. What's happened is winners and lo losers have been sorted. Maybe it's not meritocratic at all. It doesn't matter. And... We've been sorted by a, a sort of uh, a stubborn individualism and an inability to work together, and that's killing us, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at how the, the distant right, you know, streaming podcast here. We can't work together very long. We always, it always cracks up, you know. As opposed, well, I don't pay much attention to the left, but I got to think that people on the left, there are a whole lot of them who who are working together you know, far more effectively. And so we are recreating 
you know, rejection and alienation, like even when we're trying to build something because we are just wired to split Maybe. apart. And, and we've got stories for it that, well, you know, I'm a heroic truth teller. I, I'm just not willing to make the compromises of these other, you know, losers, you know. And so... There is that. You know, something going on there, I think. Well, I misunderstood what you said, but I think there is something too... Uh, that we're over here and we are more honest and 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 that's because maybe it's because we're losers and we don't have anything to that that to risk so we go ahead and do these things which you say and i agree are kind of damaging to our lives and at the very least i'm wasting my time here you know um yeah i Here's one thing, another thing that I think is going on, and I got this when I was interviewing Andy Nowicki, and um, I've, I've taken an increasingly anti-conspiracist uh, mindset. So, um, but anyway, one thing that struck me from talking to Andy Nowicki that I think is is prevalent in the distant right sphere is that we, we have to cope. One of our favorite copes is, well, at least I didn't fall for the BS man. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. people are earning six figures, those people who are happily married with kids, you know, those people who have, you know, a position in polite society. Well, you know, they are mouthing the slogans of the, you know, the, uh, the people yeah. who, who dominate our society and are on the left and, and wrecking. Well, at least I see through the BS, man. And I think that's like one of the most powerful copes for those of us in the distant right is that we're so assured that we see through the BS, that we're the truth tellers, that we're, you know, the last honest man, so to speak. And, you know, hundreds of years from now, people will build statues to us. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. But this all sounds very good. But I wonder if the other side individually, there aren't, they aren't afflicted by the same things, but other things hold them together. You know, uh, you know being on the side of power, uh, tends to hold them together because you said they're all working together out there, but there are so many fissures, right? I mean, we keep th talking about it now. Oh, the contradictions are going to eventually bring them down. And you can see them. I mean, there's nothing really, there's no real affinity between the average black person in America and the trans movement, really, you know. Um, Here's so another thought, thought I've had recently, and let me just bounce it off you. If you're living in a relatively prosperous, you know, relatively free compared to other countries on a, uh, you know, relatively safe country like the United States, it's um, it's generally maladaptive to have too intense of an in-group identity. Like, like if you're living, I mean, I don't, like L.A. Okay, you know, L.A. is I think a majority of people who don't speak English. You know, they're incredibly diverse, and so. A lot of traits uh, are quite valuable at a two or a three or a four in intensity level, such as in-group identity. But if you walk around with a, let's say you have an in-group identity operating at an eight out of 10, right? And you go to work and you basically have no interest aside from the purely pragmatic in anyone outside your in-group. That's not an adaptive strategy. So I think like an in-group identity just off the top of my head, like a three out of 10. And with any in-group identity comes a sense of victimization. Like you can't have an in-group identity as a Jew, as a homosexual, as a you know, Japanese American, as a 
as a black, gay, uh, wasp, uh, Protestant, Catholic, Muslim, any in-group identity is always accompanied by a sense of victimization because you remember all the horrible things that have been done to your in-group. But I, I'm thinking in a relatively prosperous, relatively safe place like the United States, if you're living in a city that is super multi-culty, it, it just seems like a maladaptive strategy to have too intense of an in-group identity. I just don't know how you would thrive in the workplace, and thrive on public transport, you know, thrive in a multi-corty environment if you had no interest in developing you know, friendships or being you know, open to, right. to people outside your in-group. And so I think like having an in-group identity at like two, three, four, or even five out of 10 intensity level is probably a, you know, a good thing and an adaptive thing. But uh, once you start getting more intense than that, it's probably maladaptive in today's multi-culti uh, America. Like, how, how would someone with a 9 out of 10 intensity in-group, you know, like whether they're black, gay, Muslim, whatever, how would they really thrive in, in a multi-culti state if they you know, just had that lack of interest in anyone outside their in-group? Any thoughts? Well, I don't know. You have an, an in-group identity. I don't really have one. I'm deracinated. I mean, I come to this late, and it's frankly political and when you talk about yeah it's maladaptive if 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 i live in la where i live is is pretty uh i mean i can't i have to deal with trans people all the time you know i have to be cool about it you know i can't i mean i could make a principled stand but i would never leave the house so <laughs> uh but when i when you're talking about racial diversity yes we're talking about also a fait accompli that that they visited on the native white population of, you know, L.A. and everywhere else. Um, but, you know, I mean, and it doesn't necessarily, an in-group identity doesn't necessarily have to do with victimization if it's homogeneous and there's no other, no other group. There's, you know, it seems to be a necessity really of a minority group identity, the victimization, right? I mean... It, no, I, when it was white America, it was more of a. I'll just quickly end with this. It, when it was white America, it was more frankly of a of a you know arrogance maybe, but there was no real enemy out there to uh, demonize, right? Um, I, I'm thinking out loud, so I don't think most Americans have ever primarily identified as white. They've identified as American. Which yeah. was a dominantly white, white but it was, but, and then that rug kind of got pulled out from under us. Okay, but but uh, I, I just don't think it's possible. I just think it's it's a fact yeah. of like gravity. You're the right. The stronger your in-group identity, the stronger your sense of victimization. I don't know how you can have any national identity: Australian, New Zealand, Indian, Japanese, Chinese, any national or in-group identity without an accompanying sense of victimization, like. You know, paint really? me a picture of someone with an intense in-group identity who, who's normative, who yeah. doesn't simultaneously have an intense sense of victimization and also an intense negative outlook on outgroups. I don't know how any meaningful number of people can have an intense in-group identity and not have really strong negative feelings about outgroups. I just don't think it works that way. Yeah. But it's trouble for any group if you're the ones who are 
the least in-group identified, right? And that's kind of what we are in America. It's kind of official policy that there's this one group, the white, former white, you know, non-Jewish white majority, which is shrinking, um, for whom it's considered, you know, just the worst thing in the world. And for everybody else, it's it's encouraged. Yeah, no, I mean... But it was never, it was never, white was never a primary American identity. I, I mean, it was yeah American implicit, but is American. It was it, maybe it was it was implicit. It was taken for granted. But you know, how many people wrote about how proud I am as a white man? Like that's not normative American speech, right? Well, yeah, people thought of themselves as American, and then they thought of American uh, for many years as white. But people, there's very little talk comparatively. You know, I, I suppress my knowledge. Yeah, but like England, France, Germany, no one thinks of of themselves as white. They think of themselves as French, as Australian, as as German, as Dutch. Right. Right. And and you hate other white people. Like, you know, the Nazis killed six million white people. Yeah, we forget. Like, like Australians hate New Zealanders. They're still at it over Ukraine, you know. Uh, The Poles want to get in there, you know. And there's, I mean, there's. I, I think there is still this this uh, fear of Russia behind Germany doing what uh, what I think otherwise is crazy policy, but anyway, yeah, um, you know, I we used to have identities, right? I mean, I'm I my family were, were early adopters of deracination, but my mother, God bless her, was Catholic and tried to keep us in the faith, and I can vaguely remember as a young boy when it made a difference between me and my, and it was mostly white people uh, on my block, you know. And uh, the difference, we were like the only Catholic family. And I vaguely remember when I was little that it meant something, you know. Um, but then, that was like the last I remember it ever meaning something in my life, you know what I mean? And the, my process was really kind of shamefully about just leaving that behind, you know. Like I instantly lapsed out of Catholicism and didn't look back. But, but I mean, is it really shameful? Like, let's say you become a doctor. You know, that would be your primary in-group identity. You'd feel more in common with doctors in France and Holland than with yeah. fellow Americans. And I don't see that that's necessarily a, a, a bad thing. Well, that well, should be a limited it. thing. That's a profession, right? It's not a... But but professions for many people become their primary identity. Like men yeah. in particular get much of their meaning in life from their Definitely, profession. yeah. Like let's say that you establish a six-figure you know, uh, professional income as, as a writer. That would be your overwhelming in-group identity. And you would enjoy hanging out with other you know, well-paid writers with they were from Japan or Holland or Germany, and you wouldn't really be that much interested in hanging out with people who weren't writers. I mean, I spent much well, of my life just hanging out with writers. Really? Like, that was absolutely intoxicating to me. From 2002 to 2007, my social life, 90% of it was just hanging out with writers, and if I could have sustained that, you know, I, I would not have shifted from that. I mean, that was just fantastic. Were they good company? Yeah, Writers are so smart. They're, they're such great company. It was it was it was wonderful. It was intoxicating. So yeah. So I mean, I think there are many 
you know, wonderful forms of being group identity it doesn't have to just be religion or ethnicity. It can also be uh, profession or hobbies. Like if you, I don't know, you love uh, fine art photography. Like let's say you devote, you know, most of your spare time to fine art photography. As an in-group identity, I think that could be very fulfilling. Yeah, but it's not complete. There needs to be a base. You have one, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, the Jewish thing is 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 big, but but uh, the base needs to be family. Like it, you should be getting your primary meaning in life from your your wife and, and your yeah. kids, your, your spouse and your kids. And if that isn't there, then it's kind of evolutionarily speaking, you're a freak. Um, I mean. You would think that most people should get their primary meaning in life from family, extended family, and then if there's room after that for, for friends and, and for, for hobbies. Yes. So what do you think about so many kids seem to not even consider having... So many young people now don't even consider having kids, it seems like. It's just... My, for, my bias is always to... Uh, look for the rational explanations for why people choose what they do. So I, I expect most of it just comes from a uh, rational reaction to incentives that uh, kids have just become very expensive compared to right. like, living on a farm where their kids were an asset. Uh, so I think much of it's just a, a rational, rational reaction. And then I think we have become uh, uh, more separated, you know, pulled apart. We don't have as much in yeah. common. And so uh, genuine freedom of association has been significantly diminished in this country since the 1960s. And so that makes it harder for people to bond and to build families. And so I, I think like all the lit litigation and civil rights legislation and all that, I think it's been an absolute disaster happiness and for sane family formation birth control abortion yeah uh, birth control I mean I don't have any strong opinion about birth control I I, I, I don't have a strong feeling about abortion um, I, I do have a very strong feeling about freedom of association I mean that really kills me that uh, you know, I think black people should deserve their own neighborhoods. If they want their own neighborhoods, they should be able to have their own businesses where they only hire black people. The gays should you know, be able to start businesses where they only hire gay people. Jews should be able to only hire Jews. Protestants should you know, only hire a Protestant if they want. Like, we should have genuine community. Like, it's such a relief for me to be around people with whom I don't have to explain anything. Right. <laughs> it's understood. Sure, where it's understood you can be as bigoted as you want to be, you know, within what's socially acceptable within, you know, Orthodox Judaism. It's just like, it's so fantastic that I wish that for everyone. Like, I, I wish that for every single group that you should have safe spaces to be as bigoted. Right. Because this is the other thing that's, that struck me recently. I've been around some really intelligent, wonderful, gracious left-wing people. And I noted how, how even they have this tremendously human need to dismiss vast swaths of humanity as rubbish. Like, I think it's just written into how human beings operate that the complexity of people is just too much to deal with. Yes. And so we just automatically wire to dismiss most of humanity. 
So when I grew up in Australia, anyone who wasn't Australian was trash. When I live in you know, Los Angeles, you know, we may think of everyone who lives east of Robertson Boulevard as trash. But <laughs> you know, even left-wing people, like the most you know, liberal, left-wing, uh, you know, non-racist people, they, they still are susceptible to that human need to dismiss you know, vast swaths of humanity as absolute rubbish. So uh, traditionally inclined people may do it on the basis of religion and ethnicity, um, you know, other people on the basis of class and uh, geography, but like humanity is just way too complicated for us. We have to, we're just kind of wired to dismiss everyone who's different. Um, and we, we can take breaks for that at times if you know, we're lucky and we're blessed, but, but I think everyone's just better off having safe space, just be with who they want to be with and, and then, you know, be bigoted in your in-group there about, you know, all the losers outside of your in-group. I, I just think that's how we're wired. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Are you ever in a group where it's like you're among white people? And I, I mean, because they've taken that away from white people. We have no haven. So even you're in a group, like, like you go to Shul, the guy could be a stranger to you. You've never seen him before. But all those things that are understood, and like you said, you, you know, and things that were supposedly bigoted or whatever are understood, you know, within reason. Uh, there's nothing like that for the random white person in America. I know almost nobody who enjoy white people who just enjoy hanging out with white people. I mean, you, you'd want to hang out with, you know, white people who have, you know, a certain set of values or, um, you know, things that you ha have in common. Like, first of all, if you've got a 120 yeah. IQ, you literally can't hang out with someone below a 95 IQ. You will just try to oh, I've nuts. done it. You can. It's, it's very taxing. But it, yeah. Who would do that voluntarily? It's, yeah. it's an awful experience. Uh, so, I mean, you really can only But here's what's happening in America. Yeah, I think, though, with those high IQ people who are good liberals, good people, uh, uh, they get together, but they're con they're confronted with things that, come on, that we know are outrageous, BLM, the trans movement. These things are objectively insane. And they're over there on the right side of things, uh, you know, supposed to accept it. And I'm thinking that these be, these things are hitting them, and those poor bastards can't speak honestly among themselves about their doubts. And and I don't think you can be that intelligent and not have some doubts, right? But nobody can speak honestly. You, you think you can speak honestly in Orthodox Judaism about doubts about the fundamentals of Orthodox Judaism? Nobody can speak honestly yeah. about their doubts and their ignorance. Well, like any tie, any tie, like to the extent that you and I have a tie... We are blinded by that. You can't have ties. You can't be bound to people. You can't be part of an in-group without being blind. And well, no, your you ties... can't be part of an in-group without, without uh, having all sorts of things that you can't you know, publicly question. Well, that's I the mean, thing. You the say... the nature of human organization. That's the thing. That's what's wrong with what's happening now, though. At least like, like in, in the in Orthodox Judaism, you can't... Uh, criticize too much uh, uh, Orthodox Judaism. Uh, so for these poor bastards, these uh, good people making good money with families, that's their Orthodox Judaism. 
the the whole fucking uh you know the whole bundle of bullshit that we call woke whatever trans movement uh, um blm etc you know it I mean yeah, it's I mean, but isn't any more bs than many of the things that you know we believe in like we all have a hero system like i'm sure. not down with black lives matter i'm not down with the, the trans movement but i am you know keenly aware of my own bs you know i believe <laughs> You know, all sorts of just completely irrational, nonsensical things, like particularly about my own abilities and powers that are just, you know, rationally <laughs> not there. So, <coughs> I mean, I, I can't get You can do anything. Horse. I can't get on my high horse about other people, you know, having a hero system. You know, we all, we're all sustained by things yeah. that are irrational and delusional. So, like, well. how am I, I just can't get on my high horse against other people who have their own irrationalities and delusions. Well, we live under a time when there's a dispensation. You know, the powerful is, is you know, a, akin to a religion. Uh, and I want to look to the prophets who are saying that it's full of shit. You know, we need a, a an Isaiah to reprimand this whole system. You know, that's what we need. You know, right, and it's never been a time when we haven't lived under dispensation. There have always been obvious truths that you could not say out loud. Like, yeah, and we got the wrong one. I'm not arguing against that. I'm saying we've got a bad one. We've got a bad one. We've lost our way, you know. And if I knew some good Old Testament scripture, I'd quote it. But, you know, we are... We, we, I mean, do you like where things are going, Luke? I mean, do you ever stop and think about that? I mean... Yeah, yeah I, I stop and think about it all the time, but... Uh, number one, I think there's just like way too many variables to to be too um, to be too uh, certain. Like I see bad trends and I see good trends. Uh, you know, I I voted for George W. Bush twice. Like I've really? been wrong on so many so many different things. I, I I can't get myself too worked up about other people who are wrong on the internet. You it's know, all right to I be wrong. About, when I think about how wrong that you know I, I've been, you know, yeah. wrong last week, like I just can't get exercised by other people right. who are wrong. So I think there are negative trends in America, and there, are, you know, but there, there are positive. What are the positives <laughs> right now? Uh, uh, we can have this conversation. Like, remember? Yeah. I don't know. Do you remember twenty nineteen? Uh, the sense of doom that we could no longer have these cyber conversations online. Like, we thought it was all going to get shut down. Yeah, yeah, we thought it was all... Well, it didn't happen. In fact, there are more opportunities now than 2019 and 2020 because of things like Rumble and Odyssey. So in many ways, there's been a substantial expansion in our ability to have these conversations. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Like blockchain technology, you know, has enabled uh, live streaming, you know, free of uh, corporate censorship, which I think is uh, fantastic. Uh, what are other things? Um, technology, if technology that reduces crime. So you've got technology that can hear gunshots, send police. So what's so awful about our crime surge is that we steadily are improving in technology that should naturally be reducing uh, murders by about three percent a year. Uh, so we're we're improving in you know crime fighting technology. We're improving in uh, medical technology. Uh, what, what are so I, I think anything Twitter. unsustainable will, will not sustain itself so I don't think the 
trans movement is sustainable, and I think there's a pretty substantial backlash. For the first time, it seems to me, the people on the right are not losing the culture war. Yeah, maybe. They're losing it in some ways, but there's like a substantial blowback. Uh, whenever I hear the term woke, uh, 90, 95% of the time, you know, out in the world, not in right-wing spheres, out in the world, it's used as a derogatory term. Really? Like, there is a substantial backlash against work. You know, I'm talking among gay, you know, black, Latino, you know, they don't have a lot of uh, positive regard for work. There's a, a HBO show called Industry about bankers, and many of the really gay show, uh, like really non-white show, but consistently the the you know black gay characters are the most fascist they're friendly yeah just just kind of hilarious uh but you know anything that can't sustain itself won't and yes. so i think there's a substantial backlash going against work for the first time in my lifetime there's a chance that republicans will turn the tide and the conservatives will turn the tide in the in the culture wars which I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think Ron DeSantis seems to have been a very effective Republican governor of Florida. Uh, so you, you you have a Republican chief executive who seems to be quite competent, uh, as opposed to Donald Trump, who's not particularly competent as a, as a chief executive. I, I think that's a, that's a great development. And uh, like I've got to travel. So I walked around Sydney. It's supposedly the fourth safest city in the world. There's virtually no crime in Sydney. You know, you could leave your computer, laptop on the beach, go for a swim, come back an hour later, it's still there. Uh, and Sydney's a very diverse city. It doesn't have you know, certain types of diversity in high numbers, <laughs> but Sydney's an incredibly diverse city that's incredibly safe. Uh, the utter absence of a feeling of menace during my last three months in Australia, I mean, that was, that was heartening. You know, for all Australia's problems, there was just no sense of menace that I experienced, that I saw during my time there. Uh, so, um, and, and uh, you know, I see LA pushing back against the homeless problem. Like, people on the left don't like rising crime rates. People on the left don't like homelessness. And so they're trying all sorts of different things. And I, in my three months away, I saw a substantial improvement in you know, LA's uh, homeless problem. And so, I think, uh, yeah, I think there, there are good things going on as, as well as that. Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah Twitter. Yeah, I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny to think how, uh, how uh, impactful it is. I mean, without that one platform, um, there would be a, a, a lot less you could say. I mean, I've had no problem saying anything I want on Rumble. Really? Yeah. I wish. I mean, that's amazing. I wish that would take off. I wish Rumble or one of these other things would take off. Um, you know. Well, I, I consistently get more views to my videos, both live and you know, recorded, on Rumble than I do on YouTube. I, I'll have to try it out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll consistently get, uh, like, uh, 24 hours after I, I post a video on Rumble, I, I will consistently have two to three times well, sometimes yeah half the time i'll have two to three times as many views on rumble as i do on youtube still doing streams still uh 
yeah, I leave when I want. I don't do it as a as a compulsion. Like I'll take a week off uh, when I got something to say. I like I don't want to. I don't want to repeat things that are said by a thousand other right. you know people. So when I feel like I have something to say, so I guess one thing that I'm on is I just find right wing punditry and right wing thought is just so stupid. And really, gay. Yeah. So it's not that I become left. It's just that. I just, you know, find, you know, from Fox News to uh, Tucker Carlson to, you know, right wing talk, I just find it so stupid and moronic that that, you know, that will get me exercised enough to want to do a live stream about how stupid it is. Uh, so, I mean, I think you have to take a basis of wisdom is that, you know, different groups have different gifts. And if you don't accept such a, you know, a basic axiom, you end up just in the most idiotic places. And you know, the, the conservative mainstream does not accept that different people have different gifts. And so their, their, their commentary on current events tends to be they're really moronic. Like, I think with regard to COVID, I think the, the, the conservatives and the right were really awful. Uh, you know, really? I, I, think that, uh, I think that the people who were in charge during COVID did the best they could. And they made some mistakes. Really? But overall, I thought we did a pretty damn good job. I think our elites did a pretty damn good job. So I think conservatives were awful with regard to COVID. I think their 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 attempts to establish the case for voter fraud costing Donald Trump the twenty twenty election were just pathetic. They were awful. Right. Well, like, Trump's I am open to sure. someone making that, that case. But every attempt to do so was just piss poor. Yeah. And and I'd say to the ones who are making it when I'd have debates, if you could make this case You'd go down as a hero of the American Republic. You'd earn millions of dollars a year. You could sleep with an unlimited number of gorgeous women. Like it's so easy. if you could simply make the case. If they didn't kill you. Know, you. Rationally, sto- no one's going to kill you. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you could ra- make a rational empirical case that that the voter fraud cost Donald Trump the 2020 election. You would you would be a hero yeah, of the Republic. Well. Your life would be set. But none of them can bother like rationally and empirically building a case and every time they attempt to do so i'm just so disgusted by the the 50 different holes in it that uh yeah so i guess i get i get ticked off at the very low quality of uh, a lot of right-wing thought and commentary and so i talk about how stupid it is a lot (laughs) still out to make friends are you yeah Yeah, i still have to make friends Yeah, that's yeah, all right. Yeah, I'd rather say, well, I'd rather, like, I guess I may share this with cover with you. Yeah. In the final analysis, I'd rather say what I, I believe to be true. And, yes. You know, sacrifice almost everything for that. For all and, your and time. Think, yeah, there is something question. to be said for us over here having a bit of honesty, especially for you personally, though. I think you've always been, I've seen that in you, is that you, um, Want to get out the truth, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I just can't stand having to say... I find... That what I don't like about right-wing commentary, here on YouTube at least, is, is that it's all just re- repetition. I mean, uh, God bless Matt Walsh for what he's doing over there, but uh, do I need to be told this again? Um, Tucker Carlson, what's happening with him is of incredible importance because it, you know, uh, 
because I think it does involve powerful people getting getting someone fired. But I don't really watch him that much. Uh, never did. I used to watch clips here and there. He's not telling me anything I don't know already. You know, I, I we're, we're repeating ourselves over and over again. And that's the only people crazy. are going to tell you something you don't know are basically are professors who are overwhelmingly on the left. But, you know, pundits are never going to tell you anything you don't know. They're just prostitutes serving an audience, telling the audience what what's to hear. And, you know, the whole the whole methodology of right wing talk radio and right wing punditry is basically you're a victim and I'm fighting for you against the elites who are oppressing you and join my Patreon and, you know, buy my, you know, Patriot powder. And, you know, it's oh, like I hate they're, that. They're, they're, you know, the left has some really good critiques. There's this left winger, Rick Polstein. He just did a great article in 2012 about the conservative cut. Like, you'll notice that virtually all right-wing media is largely funded by supplement shilling, which is Are they? You know, not particularly legitimate. Is it and not? it goes back, you know, it goes back 50 years. Like, the, the conservative movement is largely funded by shilling, you know, highly dubious supplements. And it's been that way for 50 years. Like, it, yeah. it's pathetic. Oh, and, there's... You know, I'm speaking to you from the pain factor... You know the pain-free factor relief studio. Yeah, there's a thing they were selling on on it. It it's gone now, I think. But it was these guys had got purchased ads on all of these little YouTube right-wing channels, and it was you've probably seen this. You supposedly buy yourself a lordship in Scotland, and they (laughs) they claim to be selling you like a little yard of dirt, but they're not even doing that. They send you a certificate and you're a lord. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's depressing how moronic the the intellectual caliber of right-wing discourse is, the, how moronic the funding well. of right-wing discourse is. Uh, and, and I'm still right-wing, but I, I, and I still, you know, largely agree with you know, many of their tendencies, but the, the reasoning and the, the, the sophistry of the, it's just disgusting. Oh, well, there's still good pundits out there on the right, right? Uh, yeah, you know. I think Steve Saylor. I, I kind of think I have no objection to anything Steve Saylor's said. Uh, Charles Murray on genetics, as opposed as opposed to politics, I think Charles Murray's off great. Uh, uh, Richard Hananya. Um, oh, Christopher Caldwell, the age of title. He that book wow. is wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well. Like I will, I will buy a subscription to any place that publishes Christopher Caldwell. Like I regularly subscribe to publications just to read a Christopher Cordwell column. Yeah. Well. I got to run. I got to run. It's great talking to you. Let's do oh, how dare you. All right, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Right on. I think he saw that dumb look on my face when I was just, I was drawing a blank and I was trying to think of something to say. And then I, on the moment, he said, I got to run. Don't work with pros, man. They're, they'll hard out on you every time. All right, that was Luke Ford. I did not debate Luke on a lot of points there that I don't agree with. You know, I'd rather just let people talk, say their piece. Uh, he's a good man. I owe him an awful lot. Uh, anyway, thank you, Luke. Next time we'll try to get KMG. Get that old curmudge, the other half of the the duo. We'll pretend that Luke 
dished on him and say, you going to come in and respond? Are you going to let that stand, these charges? Yeah, we're a perfect 10. We're going to stop on that. All right. Yeah, I'm going to shut her down and go make dinner. All right, that was okay. The show kind of turned into an interview, but that's good. I want people to come in here. If you know anybody who wants to come in here and chat, let them 